kind of did my intro with the kids already today. We are talking about the family. You can open up your Bibles to Galatians. We'll start there and we'll kind of uh, pump around. Um, we're, we're talking about why we gather. And I, I shared with you earlier in the last weeks that uh, sometimes it's hard uh, to, first of all, it's hard to navigate life in these, de- in these days, uh, to know what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing and who we're supposed to be listening to and who we're not supposed to be listening to. Um, you may have conversations with people. I, I talked to a man after the, the first service who was sharing with me that uh, his elderly mom asked him if uh, he had gone to church and like, you know, it was everyone wearing masks at church and so on. She was quizzing him. And uh, he was like, ah, you know, he's fumbling around. We're not talking about a young man, a man in his 50s. But um, this whole idea of why we gather as the church, why, why is it good for us to gather together? Um, sometimes that's tough to answer, isn't it? Uh, why is this gathering different uh, than just gathering someplace else? And uh, if you do have to limit your time, why would you gather here and not other places? The answer of the day that I'm going to be talking about is because we're family, because we're family. And I already shared with you in the last week that I do think that you should gather, uh, plan to gather with your family at Thanksgiving, as well as Christmas to celebrate God's goodness to you, as well as celebrate uh, the birth of the Savior, and uh, to realize that that's an important time, especially uh, as you meet with unbelieving family and share with them how great it is uh, that God uh, loves you and cares for you and share that saving message with them as well. But we are family, and uh, that's an interesting thing. I know that as I mentioned the word family, uh, sometimes that conjures up different pictures in your mind based on your own experience. Uh, if, if I even as saying you know family meeting for Thanksgiving, some of you broke out in a rash uh, because you were concerned about some of your family members, and you just go, "Oh man, it's so difficult to be around them," and uh, even sometimes uh, feeling um, embarrassed that comes up in your mind that you go, oh, "I hope they don't show up" and stuff like that, and uh, because it's tough to be family with some of your family, and I want to tell you that if you have. Uh, dysfunctional family or or pictures that are warped in your mind of what family is. You need to acknowledge that and not attribute that to God's people. Um, Their family can be a good thing, a thing that would be cherished for you. Uh, That said, you know, there is a warning also that it, it may not be like your dysfunctional family, but it also is not the perfect family. I know that often when you have uh, a struggle growing up and maybe your family is dysfunctional and it, it is a source of burden and, and anxiousness, you come to the church and you say, great, now I'm part of this family. It's going to be perfect. And I want to tell you that's not going to happen. Uh, it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen at some other church. Uh, sometimes people... Uh, bounce from church to church looking for the perfect family. And I just want to tell you, you'll be bouncing for a lifetime. God's people are in process, uh, individuals in process that are growing to be what God wants us to be, not we are perfect as we gather together. Um, Also, 
to remember this, a warning for you and for me, that this is not a man-made family. This is not a man-made family. This is not something that we could do. Uh, we're going to even see that today, that this is something that God is doing. This is his family, uh, and he gets to set the agenda and the priorities uh, as we consider how we are supposed to be. This morning, um, I have three points for us this morning, and just this idea of bringing out family, uh, the word family, as we look at the scriptures in regards to us being saved, but also us being the church. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the goodness of your word and your kindness and allowing us to know it. Thank you for the treasure it is and the the confidence that we have knowing that we can't collectively compete with the the pureness of your word, the goodness and the um, effectiveness of your word. Uh, God, thank you for giving it to us, for the Holy Spirit, um, writing it and, and getting it to us and then now illuminating it for us now. And not just that we would understand, but that we would be transformed by it. Help us to think differently about uh, our time of gathering here together. God, thank you uh, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so uh, as we look at the family, we first find um, that we are saved to the family of God. In Galatians chapter 4, Verses 4 through 7, I originally thought 4 through 6, but I like verse 7 as well. God's word says this. Listen to this. This is so great. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Did you, did you catch all that? Did you catch all those words of family? Uh, God sent his son. God sent his son. So what does that make God? The father, right? The father sent his son. Uh, it was born of a woman. So who was she? She was the mother, uh, a heavenly father and an earthly mother, uh, and he was the son. He, w- he was the son. W- what else? We see that born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That sons is plural, and uh, it includes daughters as well, but as they translated, especially in the book of Galatians, it's important to translate it sons because for the original readers, they would have heard uh, the idea of being a son. A son is an heir and not a daughter. Uh, but as we realize this, we realize that it is sons and daughters, sons and daughters that are heirs that receive inheritance, even as we have found in this passage. So what do we see here? Uh, first of all, we have a, there's a heavenly father. Jesus was born to a mother. It's, it's family language. It's family identifications. And what happens to us? We are adopted as sons. Many of you understand adoption far greater than I do. 
uh, in, that you're either adopted or you had adoption in your family. And you realize you go from not having a family to being ha- having to think about life in terms of just what you can do or the situation you can get yourself in or how you can provide for yourself. But now, uh, no longer in bouncing around trying to make life on your own, he says, now you're adopted. You're adopted. You're brought into the family. Uh, I want to tell you that's one of the most beautiful pictures and stunning pictures of salvation that we have in the scriptures. Adoption. And, and maybe some of you can remember that feeling of having to take care of yourself, of bouncing around in life, of saying, I need to provide for myself. I need to fight for myself. I need to protect myself because nobody else cares for me. And we realize in this passage that he says, it says that there's a heavenly father sent his son, Jesus, that he would redeem those under the law. That's us. And not just that he would redeem us, that he would say, I I adopt you. I bring you into the family. I know that that's a struggle, especially for the one adopted to say, do they really think of me as a full member of this family? I think that's the the verse that I I wanted to, I thought about leaving out, but it's so important to the passage, verse seven, uh, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. Well, that's amazing. What kind of son? And if a son, then an heir through God, an heir. That he didn't adopt you as some kind of second uh, class child in his family, but he said, I want you to be my son and a full heir of all that I have. That's, a, that's an amazing picture. And I, I want you to get this this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him, if you're saved, your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. If that's you, you are adopted. But you are adopted into a family. One of the amazing things that's happened in our area, in Southern California in the 70s, uh, especially the Jesus movement came. And such an important uh, piece of our uh, history here of churches here in California. And really it spread out not just in Southern California, but really uh, continues. And one of the great strengths of that was the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. Even in this passage, it talks about... um, in verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent a spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, meaning that we have this intimate relationship with the Father, that we call him, uh, some have wanted to say Daddy, but it's much more adult than that, but it's just as tender, just as intimate. And we do have that personal relationship uh, because of what Christ has done with our Heavenly Father. But, but it's more than that. It's more than that. He has not saved us just for the relationship with Him and I, but He has saved us into a relationship of a family. I want you to get that this morning, that He has made you sons, but this picture is it's not just with Him, but with one another. As we move on, uh, in John chapter 1, uh, another passage that 
uh, is describing Christ. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, uh, but, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. Do, do you get that amazing, uh, amazing identification that you and I, if we've trusted in Jesus, we are a child of God? Isn't that amazing? Uh, you think about uh, your family relationships, and uh, a lot of times our family relationships gets us in trouble, right? Oh, you're so-and-so's brother or sister, especially in a small town like this, you know, generations going to school. Oh, you're so-and-so. It depends if your your older sibling was a good student or a bad s- student, right? You might have to reclaim the family name. Some of you know about that. Uh, but, but also the father and the mother, oh, is that your dad? Is that your mom? That family relationship will, will get this picture that the God of the universe says to you on the basis of Jesus that you have the right to become and be and be named as a child of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something that, I know we struggle with, where, where's my place in this world? Do I have a, uh, you know, am I... Do I have value? Do I have a spot? I want to tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what else is true, if you're a child of God, that's all that matters. Most important thing. And he could have used any language he wanted to, but he chose to use the family names. He chose to uh, define this, this relationship that he would have with you as a family relationship. So know this, that we are saved, we are saved to a family. We're saved to a family. Now, I, I want to move on, that we're saved to a family now to think about, and that family matters. That's my second point, and that family matters we look at the identifications of this family that we've been saved into and why that matters or how that matters in our world today. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, um, we, we see a, a very interesting and important passage when it comes to uh, this, this idea of the church. And so uh, if you think of First and Second Timothy and Titus especially, those were uh, books where Paul wrote to pastors, a couple of pastors, and said, let me tell you about the church. Let me help you with your picture of the church. And in 1 Timothy, he says this in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Paul says, I, I want to I come to you. I want to share these things with you. But if I delay, I, I want you to know how to handle or conduct yourself in the family or the household of God. How does life happen here? You think about this. If you were to adopt a teenage young man or a young woman, and they would come and they would live in your home. 
And there would be a sense of acclamation to that, right? There would be a sense of communicating the culture or how things work in the household that they're in now. Especially if they had lived out on their their own, it would be very different. And so Paul is saying, I need to communicate how you should live in the household of God. And and I I want you to think about this this morning. Um, I remember myself as I went away to college, how I set up my dorm room. It was, you know, I, I, I got some pillows that matched and a nice comforter and some decoration. I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, I was concerned that my stereo got set up. That's, you know, stereo. There's components and it was like as big as the room itself and stuff like that. Now, you know, they don't do that anymore. It's sad days. But, but anyways, uh, this idea sometimes is that we go into, uh, we go into the church and it's kind of like a dorm room for us. And we're like, I'm going to set this up the way I like it. I'm going to uh, force my desires on everything around. And I want to tell you, there's a very different picture here for each and every one of us as we become part of the household of God, is that uh, there's a different way of doing things in here. And it's not about our desires, but it's about what is in keeping with the culture of God's people, his household. So so you look at this, and there's a progression in our passage, uh, this passage. It says, uh, how to behave in the household of God the household of God, which is the church, which is the church. And so you connect these things. It's not just a household or a family. It's the church. And I would say to you this, the local church. Uh, Sometimes we like to think philosophically about the universal church, of what it should be and what it could be and uh, in its perfection. I want to tell you, set all that stuff aside. What are we doing here? What's going on right here? And, and I think that often in our uh, internet age and stuff like that, we concern ourselves with what's happening in the church down the road, or what's happening uh, with the Gospel Coalition or some big church in L.A. or whatever. Set all those things aside. What is God doing here? Because this is the place where we're living. The household of God and its representations right here. The church. Um, let me talk about church for a minute too. I think that uh, church is sometimes a hard thing for us to get our head around. Many of us are part of other organizations. Some of, some of you go to school and you, you do that online, but like eventually maybe you'll go to school and you'll see real people and have a real teacher. And, um, but, but when you're there, you can say, I'm part of this school. Or I'm a junior at Tatchby High School, or I go to this college. I got a sweatshirt to prove it. You know, I'm part of this group. Or maybe you're part of a club or an organization that you know they celebrate railroads or golfing or whatever. You and you get together and you're part of that group. And you think, oh, the church is kind of like that. You're a good group that gets together for a purpose and you're kind of uh, connected by that. I want to tell you, 
It's not. It's not. It's meant to be much more intimate, much more permanent, and, and much more substantial than anything you can ever imagine. It's meant to be like a family. Family. So he connects this household of God with the church. I, I need to give this to you too because I really think it's important as we uh, consider what that church is supposed to do. He says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. This idea of pillar and buttress is is a building type thing. And you can picture a big strong pillar and a a buttress or another piece on there holding up uh, really the whole building, but specifically the roof. And a good strong picture of that. And yet, as we look at it, sometimes it's... uh, a little difficult to put these things together, and I, I, I want to help you with this. Well, when I when when I was a kid, I sang a song. Uh, maybe some of you. I don't want I me. Mean, I won't sing it, and you won't sing it. But anyways, it'll get in your head, and you'll be singing it all week. Uh, the B I B L E, because that's a book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E, and and that was a good picture for me. And I, you know, it was a little bit. Uh, Stand alone, and you know uh, that idea that it's our foundation. Uh, this verse tells us something different, and it's a little bit confusing. Where is the truth? Uh, look, look at it again. He says, "The a household of God, the church, the church of the living God, which is a pillar and a buttress of the truth." Where is the truth? Do you get it? This is, this is a hard picture. So uh, who, pillar and buttress, who, who's that? It's the church. It's the church. Look at it. It's confusing. I want to tell you this. It's confusing. So, so you have this big, strong pillar and supporting uh, pieces, and the truth is what it's supporting. And you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, the, the church is supporting the truth? That seems wrong. It should be the other way around. Remember the song? Stand alone on the word of God and then we're on top of it? It's supporting us. I, I want to tell you that I think that there's an incredible, important role that he gives the church in this passage that we should not miss. One writer explained it like this, and I think it's a good explanation. The church depends on the truth for its existence. The church depends on the truth for its existence. And then he goes on to say, the truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. So what you get is a picture here that what are we doing here? Why is this church here? Uh, We could quickly say, well, it's for us. It's for us. It's like, so we can get taken care of and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But in this passage, it says the role of the church is to hold up the truth. Hold up the truth. Having gained our life from this message, now we hold it up. And as a lighthouse to this community, we are extending out the truth. We're holding it up. We are meant to be strong, not for our own sake, but for standing for the truth here in this place. 
The church has a job to do. We have a job to do. We have a, a, a message to get out. Uh, he used the word defense there. I don't know if I would use that word. I, I think that uh, we don't need to defend the truth so much as we need to share the truth and allow God to be the defender, right? It's his word. Uh, it's not our message, but that we would hand it out and that we would proclaim it as we should. This is the job of the family. This family that we are a part of and saved into now matters. This life in the family is life in the church and extending the truth. So uh, also, uh, we move on to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, it goes like this. Chapter 5, it, it talks about um, this relationship, and it says this. Do not rebuke an older man. Okay, remember, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's sharing with him how to have a relationship. In the, uh, what, do we, what do you do in the church? And now he's talking about relationship. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. You look at that, those couple of verses there, and what should pop out to you is he's talking about the family uh, relationship. This, this could have been a picture of my family, the Bozer family I grew up in. I had a dad, I had a mom, I had a sister, and I was the brother, okay? And so there, everyone was represented there, okay? Um, as you look at that, he's not talking about your home. He's talking about this place and relationship. And he said, how do you relate to one another? It's simple. Uh, if you're looking and you're in front of someone who's an older man, you should think of him as a father. If you're uh, standing before an older woman, you should think of her as a mother. And the same true younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. Some of you are trying to figure out right now which category you're in, right? Depending on your age. Am I the younger sister, younger brother, or... Am I the older one? Um, I could, I'll tell you afterwards, but I won't tell you here. If you want to come up and ask, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Um, but, but this picture here is this. He says, as you relate in the church, in the church right here, right now, you relate in a family sort of way. Uh, some of you are going back to your picture of family and you say, oh, my family fought all the time. <laughs> is that what we're doing? No. It's not. I had two kids tell that to me. I asked how their week went, and they said, oh, we fought all week long. And I said, why? And they said, because we're brother and sister. You know, it was real clear in their minds. Uh, I, I just want you to get this picture. That is not what God has intended. It's the idea that we relate to one another in a permanent family sort of way. What, what do you do... Uh, as you go to school and you meet someone you don't like or you have disagreement with, you go, you raise your hand and you go, can I switch seats, right? I don't want to sit by them. Maybe you get a bad teacher. What do you do? Hey, mom, I got to transfer out of that class. I need to get done with this. It, you, you look at this and you, you realize that these are temporary relationships. You don't need these people, right? You're like, I got to get out of here. Uh, some of us have done that with jobs. We have a job situation where we don't like a boss or a coworker, and we go, I need to get out of this department. 
I need to change this. I, I need to just walk away and get out of here. Why? Because I don't need to be with them. This isn't a permanent relationship. A very distinct and different thing is the church. And some of you, I mentioned it earlier, some of you say, well, no, it's not, you know, it's not permanent. I can go to the other church, other churches, right? Uh, some of you are collecting bulletins from every church in town, right? And, and, and you're saying, well, you know, this, that, and that. I want to tell you, there will be no perfect church. And the idea of God planting you in a place he wants you to treat those people like family. I know that's difficult. Some of you have wondered how uh, large Bear Valley Church is. I want to tell you how large Bear Valley Church is. So our attendance is like even, we're just learning how large our attendance is. I think this is without people online. So there are people online and we consider them part of the church. But our attendance has been about 230 people. And because we're kind of flaky up here in uh, Tehachapi, that represents probably around 400 people in a month, okay? Uh, some, some of you miss from time to time, schedule, work schedules, different things going on, um, caution, all, all those things. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that play into that. That's a pretty large family, right? That's a pretty large family. And, and so you can't know everybody. But I, I want you to get this picture, this family sort of picture. Uh, I want you to get it that we see each other as family. I, I think it's especially great in Tehachapi where we will see people. We will see people out in the community. Uh, we will, you know, see them on the road. And, and we'll see, you know, if, don't get a new car because I identify people as, by cars, right? I see their car. Hey, it's good to see you. And, and what you think about is, is this. There's my brother, there's my sister. That, they're part of my family. They're part of my church. That, that's the picture. It's the same thing as you go to, you think about going to um, a sporting event where kids are playing and, and you're watching and, and you see the whole team and everyone's out there, whether it be baseball or soccer or football or whatever. Football is pretty confusing because they all look the same. They got those helmets on and, and, and you're cheering and, and you say, yeah, I'm cheering for number 11. Why are you cheering for number 11? That, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my, uh, you know, and, and as God's people, we would say, I'm still cheering for number 11, right? I, they're mine. They're part of my family. Do you, you get that picture? Is that we see each other as special and we relate to one another as special because we are part of the family of God, his church. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, obviously this is at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says something, and I, I want to say this. I think there were like three or four other passages that were very much like these. They were set up structurally the same way. L listen to this, uh, verses 17 and 18. Paul writes this to the church at Rome. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk, flattery, and they deceive the hearts of the naive. How does he start out? He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal 
appeal to you. He, he could have said it this way. I appeal to you, family. Uh, you, you look throughout the New Testament, and, and one of the identifications that's so important is brothers, brothers and sisters. Some of you have uh, lived in the South, and you've gone to church, and you realize that nobody knows anybody's name down there, right? They just go, brother, sister, you know, it makes it easy on Sunday morning to gather because you don't need to know anybody's name. But, but it's an identification that shares this idea that we are not just people who sit by each other. We are people that are family meant by God. And so as Paul was directing them, he says, I appeal to you as family. I'm talking about that special relationship that unites us that you should live differently. This particular passage, and I believe the other ones as well, is talking about really the sacredness and, and special and, and, and the idea of uh, important guarding of the church family. This idea that we treat as precious that which God saved us into. I want to encourage you that you should think in such a way uh, that the church, the family matters. The family matters. It matters not just that we gather together, that we, but that we treasure that which God has saved us into. Well, my last point this morning is just some practical things. Why the family? I, I think that often people try to, you know, maybe it's American pride and ingenuity that we always say, is there a better way to do this? Is there a better way to do this thing called the church? And sometimes we go, what if the church, uh, you know, I got a better idea. We just make it all the, the, there's a teenage church and then there's an adult church and then there's a retired church and we try to separate people. Or maybe we say uh, there's a woman church and a man church and, uh, or we just try to think of different ways to do it. But God, think about what he did. He did not. He did not, I I want you to get this, he did not, he wasn't limited in what he could have identified us as, but he chose, he chose to identify us as the family, the family. And so we really need to ask the question, why did he choose the family? What is it about the family? I think there's probably a list of maybe 50 to 100 different reasons, but I wanted to write down a few of them that I think are important to us this morning. First one being this, training. In a family, uh, there's training that goes on, right? You, you think about um, little ones, and we celebrate it. By the way, we celebrate it, right? We celebrate kids. Well, the reason we do the surprise box is not because of the theological training that goes on on the stage here. Uh, it's just that we're celebrating the kids. We're celebrating them. And we're reminding them and reminding us that this is what's important. This next generation is important. Um, and so we do celebrate them, but they need to be trained, right? Why? They need to be fed. They need to protect, be protected from themselves, right? But they need to be trained. Why? Some of you are thinking of snide answers right now. You know, you have all these, somebody you know, belted out something political in the first service, and I'm thankful that you are more restrained. But, um, uh, you, you think about why do kids need to be trained? Because they're a danger to themselves. 
They're a danger to others. And eventually, they will be 30. And they will be a danger to the next generation and really in ripple effects down from there. So they need to be trained, right? It's not something that uh, they can get it right and you can do, you know, get them to be perfect by five or anything like that. There's a process of training. And I want to tell you in the church, there's a process of training as well. As you think about, I think especially of young families in this service. And uh, those of you who are young families, uh, you need to be talking to older families, And older families, uh, don't talk about your glory stories. There weren't that many of them. There weren't that many of them in the early days. But be able to communicate to generations after you to be able to say, hey, uh, when I was your age, I made some mistakes. And I didn't, let, let me share those with you. So maybe you could learn from my mistakes instead of being painfully marked by your own. I, I, I want to give. I want to download this to you. And this is what God taught me there. And this is what I wish I would have known then. And this is what God's doing in my life now. There's a training process of that, and that we we should be doing that. That's what the family does. That's what the family of God does. We train one another. We and it's not just so that they would be trained, but that we give them access to the right answers. Um, maybe even before we had them. Uh, in regards to her own life. Also, uh, there's care and protection. I'll just breeze through this, but one of the other pictures in the, in the Bible or words that identifies the church is a flock. We'll get there in First Peter eventually, I'm sure. Uh, but th- th- this idea that God's people are a flock, that they're meant to be together. What happens to sheep, the one that is straying outside the flock? You know, uh, you've watched those shows on TV, uh, and it's graphic what happens to them. They they go down by the river, and they get eaten by alligators, or the coyotes take them uh, off, or whatever, you know. You get this picture of once they're outside of the flock, there is safety in numbers. And so as we gather, it's for our protection, and really the protection of the weak. And so we gather. Also, as you think about the church uh, you also realize there's an extreme or uh, important diversity here. Uh, I love Bear Valley Church uh, for one of the reasons is there's such a, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but there's such an interesting group of people here. And I, sometimes when people say interesting, they mean weird, but that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated to know your story and how God brought you to live in this area and to be part of this church. Uh, Some of you have grown up here, very few of you, but also people have come from different lives and different places and they came to know Christ at different times and they had a different occupation and their their family they grew up with and maybe even a different region or maybe even a different country. And you, you look at that and you go, that brings a, a uniqueness to this group and a diversity that helps us to learn from one another. Last two things, and they all come from Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to put that up. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us, stir up, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
There's two things I want to point out. I love this passage. I could talk about it for a long time. The first one is godly agitation. Godly agitation. Um, some of you do agitation really well. Uh, it's a superpower or a spiritual gift or something. But godly agitation is what we're looking for here. And it's the idea of us bumping up against each other in such a way. Proverbs tells us, uh, you know, as one man sharpens another, that's the picture. That, that It's like a knife sharpening one another. And that's what's meant to happen in the church, a godly agitation. That as we bump up against each other, that God uses our interactions to sharpen one another to be more what he wants us to be. He says, uh, spur one another on. And then he also says, meeting together, meeting together. That's the family gathering together. That's why we need to be together so that we can bump up against each other. Uh, It is good for us. It is good for us to uh, correct each other in a godly way, in a uh, patient, kind, merciful, corrective way and saying, no, that's not the way God wants us to think. And for us to, uh, that happens as we gather together. The other piece of this in this passage, it's so important to me, and it's what a family should do. A family should do this, is to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Um, you go to work or you used to go to school or you had some project you were working on. You had your list of things to do and uh, those list of things to do didn't get done. In fact, you maybe broke some things and added things to your list, created messes that needed to be addressed. And so you go out, you go out and then you come home. What should happen at home? What should happen? encouragement, encouragement. At the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, right? There should be a sense of as we kick people out of the house in the morning, there should be this thing of you can do this. God's with you. He loves our family. He's going to provide for us. Even if you're scared, he'll be with you in the midst of that. Even if you got big things to take care of that are a mess, he'll give you wisdom as you, like that's the, the way we kick people out of the house. God will be with you today. God, I'm praying for you. I care about you. This is the encouragement of the family and in the church. That's what should happen at home. And as they, they come in, come into the house at the end of the day, great to see you. Great to see you. How was your day? How was your day? What's going on? Oh, it didn't go so well. It's okay. It's okay. I'm, we're glad to see you, you know. And, and, the ki- and, and what is this? This is husband-wife relationship, but also kids involving themselves in there and the parents with the kids. And there's this thing of courage, granting them courage that they might live and not just live, but to thrive as they go out that next day and the courage to face another day. What should happen in the church? Well, in the family, there should be encouragement going on. What should happen in the church? Encouragement. We should be encouraging one another. I want to tell you that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, I would even say, that we sing for for encouragement. Uh, It's encouraging to hear you sing truthful words about our forgiveness, the days ahead, the resurrection. Like, these are great things. And that's why we sing, and we're meant to sing really to one another as we sing to God. 
we look at these. I have three things uh, as, as we finish our time this morning that I want to go over. Three things, three conclusions. I'll go through them quickly. First of all, uh, to rem- remind yourself, these are conclusions, to remind yourself that family isn't about personal success, but about family success. If, if the church isn't succeeding um, and you're succeeding, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever talked to kids who play youth sports, and you, you say, hey, how'd the game go? And, and quickly, some kids will say, well, I did great. <laughs> you know what they just answered? They lost. <laughs> they lost. It was a terrible game because they're, just, they're distancing themselves. They say, I succeeded. They didn't. I want to tell you, it's not good if you succeed and, and this church doesn't. That's a, that's a picture of God. The second thing uh, is to remember about family, but also about church, is family is about others. Family is about others. Is that our eyes should be fixed on looking at others and saying, how can I serve them? How, how can I be a part of what they're doing? And then in a similar sense, the third thing is this. Family is about sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. Um, to say it another way, family is not about spare change as time allows. Spare change as time allows. You think about that and you think about different things in your life that you'd be more than willing uh, to throw spare change at. You know, I got some extra bucks. You know, it's not a big deal. Boom. There it is. But if it really caused you to sacrifice for it, you're like, I, I don't have any time for that. Uh, maybe that's true. I, I said time. That's the same picture there. You say, well, I'm really busy. I'm really busy. And if I have time, if I have time, I will invest and care about the family. I want to tell you that the family of God being part of the church isn't about spare change. It's not about spare change. And it's not about as time allows. It's this idea of sacrificial service for the family. This is what God has saved us into. This is what he's allowed us to be a part of. I love it. Uh, You're such an encouragement to me, church, and especially in this season. um, I want to tell you, it's such a blessing to be with you as the church. Um, You give me courage for the week. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time around your word. I pray that you would continue this work, your Holy Spirit this week, uh, that we would uh, be reminded and be able to apply and think through and be changed by this. God, we do ask for courage for this week, that we would not become worried and anxious about the days ahead, but that we would trust in you and realize your faithfulness to us and realize our spot before you as a child of God. God, we're thankful for all that you've done and all that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.